You can have a seat. As we get started tonight, um, I just have to take a second and uh, tell my wife, sometimes she uh, gets a chance to watch uh, live right after her boot camps that she does. She's a trainer and she does boot camps on, on Tuesdays and Thursday nights and then early in the mornings. And so I just have to tell her, babe, if you're watching, happy birthday. Um, 36 is the new 29. And um, so happy birthday, uh, Darby. And uh, we get to go out tomorrow night because obviously had Raider Church tonight. So. I'll be out uh, with my wife having a, a, a great time. And I'm not gonna tell you what all that means. You just need to know we'll be having a great time tomorrow night, okay? So here, here's the other cool thing, amazing thing about my wife, okay? This past uh, year, many, some of you guys know this if you were with us last semester, uh, I talked about this a little bit, but, but we really felt like God was leading us to, to sell our house. And we did that for many different reasons. And, and I don't have time to go into all those right now, but, but what we did, we sold our, our nice house and, and we moved into a duplex. We basically reduced the space that we live in in half for a family of five with, with three kids. And so uh, my wife's uh, amazing because she was okay with that. And we're not too sure what's next for us. We don't know what we're gonna do. We just felt like God telling us to simplify and, and reduce. And so uh, we, we did that. We're not sure what's next. So we're living in a, in a duplex and um, my wife's so uh, incredible. She's just, she's great with that. She's fine with that. Uh, but, but we joke about like, okay, well, you know, when are we going to, what are we going to do next? And, and when's that going to be? And are we going to build a house? Are we going to move in a house or, you know, whatever. And uh, we keep saying, you know, I just, well, I don't know, you know, I'm good in the duplex. And she's like, okay, maybe you are, but I'm not, I'm not too sure how long we can, we can do this like with, with three kids. And, and so the other day I'm driving down the street and I see a sign in the yard in front of one of the, the duplexes uh, in the neighborhood that we're in. And it said luxury townhomes. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to my wife and I said, hey, great news, babe. We don't live in a duplex anymore. We live in a luxury townhome. And she just texted me back. She said, that's not funny. I mean, it's, there's, no, no, we don't. Uh, and and it, it's not funny. So my wife has, hard a, has had a hard time like reframing uh, with the words that I try to use to describe our current situation. She, she's not buying it. But my son, Coben, okay, he is great at this. So here, here's an example. My boys wanted an elf on the shelf. How many of you guys know what this elf on the shelf business is? You've heard of this. Okay. So it's, it's, it's a craze going on right now with the elementary folk. Okay. So they wanted this elf on the shelf and they're dying for it and all their friends have it. And so, you know, they're all, the, my boys are coming to me and say, dad, we, we've got to have an elf on the shelf. Of course. And you know, the reason why they say it, all of my friends have an elf on the shelf. We have an elf on the shelf at school. And so we need an elf on the shelf at our house. And I'm kind of being the stuck up Christian, you know, pastor saying, you know, I don't really want to do that. You know, I'm in, I'm, Tristan's about Jesus. It's not about magic and presence and all that kind of stuff. And, and they're all kind of looking at me like, dad, come on. You know, we just, can we get the elf on the shelf? And I, 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 I resisted for so long that Coben, he didn't stop asking for it, but he would never complain. He would never uh, get upset. He, he just decided to take matters into his own hands. And here's what he did. He drew his own elf on the shelf and he put it on our refrigerator. And he said, it says Coben's elf on the shelf. And he named him Frost. And so he just, he just drew his own. He made the, the best of the situation. And I eventually relented, of course, after I saw the picture and uh, I felt like an idiot and got an elf on the shelf. Okay. So then it happened again. My boys, because some of their friends, this is crazy, have 
cell phones, okay? And we have a lot of friends and families and friends of ours that, that watch this live, and, and if you're watching and you're our friends and your kids have cell phones, I'm, it's okay. But, but our kids don't have them, and they tell us all the time, always, like, my friends have a cell phone. At 10 and 8, they're saying, my friends have cell phones. And I'm like, I didn't get a cell phone until I graduated from high school. And, and, and I know you guys are like, what? Like, that, that's weird. But, but I didn't. I didn't have a cell phone until I graduated from high school. And so um, my kids don't have cell phones. They continue to ask, Dad, we want a cell phone. Can we get a cell phone? I'm like, no, no, never. You know, so, so, but they, they want their, the, the cell phone. And so I continue to say no. And so Coben decided he was going to make the best of the situation. And he's got a real creative Im- imagination. So he, he drew his own cell phone. So here's his, here's his iPhone. And uh, you can tell he's got like 30 apps on one screen. And here's his home button, okay? And then up here, you may not be able to see this, but I just, I I died, you know, when he told me this. But uh, up here in this app, it's the only app with a word on it or with a name on it, and it says the Bible. So (laughs) I was real proud of my son. And no, I did not get him a cell phone just because he had the Bible app. I think I heard somebody say that, uh, but I did not do that. So... But here's the great thing about this iPhone, okay? It's free, you can draw it, you can just add apps whenever you want, okay? There's no charge. Uh, it, it, so so, so it's, I think it's an ideal cell phone for, for, for my kids. And, and, here, and, and he even made it even better, like the next day. Watch, here's the back. Okay, this is the camera. And then some of you know what this is that goes on the back of a phone. He made his own pop socket. On the, for, for his iPhone on, on, on his phone. So my son, Coben, okay, is great at what we're going to call tonight reframing. Reframing. You see, we've been in a series called Chasing Lions. And in this series, we've been talking about how God has this ordained destiny for us and, and for us to step into. And a lot of times the, the problems that we face the adversity that we face, the suffering that we go through is something that's preparing us for God's ordained destiny. It's a lion, a scary lion that wants to, cause, that wants to push us away or, or scare us into running away from God's ordained destiny. And so it's when we face those lions, it's when we face those lions and how we respond to those lions that will determine whether or not we step into God's ordained destiny destiny for our lives. But here's the thing, when you face a lion at face value, that's a big problem. And we talked about that in, in week one. We talked about that's a, it's a big problem to face a 500-pound lion, and we talked about all the reasons for that. And so when we face those lions, those scary lions, those God-ordained opportunities, we can complain, we can make excuses, we could be victims, or Tonight, I want to challenge you to reframe the situation. Reframe the situation. And I want to explain more about what that means. So turn to 2 Samuel 23. We're going to go back through the passage that we've been looking at all throughout this series. 2 Samuel 23. If you don't have a Bible, you go to RaiderChurch.com on your phone, on on your web browser. Uh, Click uh, sermon notes. You can follow along with us. The verses and everything are there. Uh, for you. So 2 Samuel 23, I want to show you what I mean by reframing and why this is so important for us as we chase the lions in our life and seek after God's ordained destiny for us. So 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 20, it says, there was also 
Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel, from the tribe of Kabzeel. He did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Once, armed with only a club, he killed an imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors in Israel. Benaiah faced problem after problem, adversity after adversity. And he didn't run away. He chased those lions. And we talked about that over the last couple of weeks. And if you missed those, you can go on online and, and, and catch up and, and, and watch those. And, and tonight will even make more sense in light of the last couple of weeks. But here's what Benaiah realized. And here's what we have to realize if we're going to step into God's ordained destiny, if we're going to reframe the problems that we face as God ordained opportunities, here's what we have to realize. That God-ordained opportunities are often well-disguised problems. If we're going to reframe our situations and our problems, our 500-pound lions like Benaiah face, we've got to realize that God-ordained opportunities are often well-disguised problems. Because you see, if you keep reading in 2 Samuel 23, uh, the very next verse says that so David made Benaiah captain of his bodyguard. David made Benaiah captain of his bodyguard. I mean, that had to be one of two positions, either the general, like the leader of all of Israel's armies, or the captain of David's personal bodyguard. Like, that's the pinnacle. That's the, the dream for a warrior in Israel, to be the captain of David's personal bodyguard. I mean, that's the, the pinnacle. It's the mountaintop. And God made Benaiah his captain of his personal bodyguard. And here's what I think had to be going through David's mind. Because you remember this, this is King David, the same David who faced Goliath, who was thrust onto the scene in Israel's history because of his battle with Goliath. And if you know that story, here's what I think David is recounting and, and remembering as he's looking at Benaiah's resume. He's going through the resumes and he comes across Benaiah's who, who faced two champions of Moab and, and faced down a lion and faced down an, an Egyptian with a spear. Who we, we talked more about that last week. But I think what had to be going through David's mind was his own history, was his own past. If you remember from the story of David and Goliath, David shows up to King Saul and he's trying to convince Saul that, that he needs to be the one to go out and face Goliath and I think at this moment, David, as he's considering Benaiah for the captain of his bodyguard, he's putting the dots together, just like he put the dots together, just like he connected the dots when he was in front of Saul, trying to convince Saul to let him be the one to go out and face Goliath. Because when he was in front of Saul, David began to remember all the unanswered prayers for protection for his own sheep as a shepherd boy. You see, David began to recount that every time he faced 
a lion or a bear himself. And he took out that, that stone out of his shepherd's bag and he put it in a slingshot and he, he killed that lion or that bear that were coming after his own sheep. I believe David connected those dots and he was trying to convince Saul in this moment as he connected the dots that God was preparing him. He was honing his skill in these preseason games so that when the sudden death match came, literally in the playoffs, with Goliath, he was ready. He was ready for that battle because God had been preparing him. And I think David connected those dots when he was talking with Saul that his past problems, his past adversity, his past unanswered prayers were actually God-ordained opportunities for him to step into his destiny at that moment. And now David is reading Benaiah's resume for captain of his bodyguard and he's seeing everything that Benaiah's been through. And he's seeing that Benaiah's past adversity and problems have probably prepared him for this moment to be the captain of his bodyguard. God-ordained opportunities are often well-disguised problems. Now, David realizes it after the fact when he's with Saul. And he recounts his past for Saul to convince Saul that he should be the one to go out and, and face Goliath. He, he sees it after the fact. But if we're going to see our problems as God-ordained opportunities in that moment, then, then we need to be able to do this. We need to be able to reframe our problems in the moment while it's happening. So how do we do that? Well, number one, we've got to reframe adversity. We've got to reframe adversity. Adversity is a blessing in disguise. Did you know that zero gravity can be hazardous for your health? Like astronauts who are in space for, for very long and, and live in, in zero gravity for very long, experience severe muscle loss and bone density loss, so much so that when they come back to Earth, oftentimes they have trouble walking. Adversity, pressure, resistance, enable us to grow and to become stronger. God uses adversity and pressure and resistance in our lives to grow us and to strengthen us for those future God-ordained opportunities to step into the destiny that he has for us. We need to reframe adversity. We've got to reframe, secondly, uncertainty. We've got to reframe uncertainty. Lion chasers realize and, and understand that they're going to face uncertainty and that short-term uncertainty is better than long-term or lifelong regret. You see, lion chasers know that when they step into uncertainty, they know that it might mean uncertainty, but they're okay with it because they would rather experience short-term uncertainty than get to the end of their lives and have a million what-if regrets. You know, many have this mistaken notion that faith 
reduces or eliminates uncertainty. And nothing could be further from the truth. Faith doesn't reduce uncertainty. Faith embraces uncertainty and steps forward anyways because of their trust in God. And so if we're going to see those problems, those well-disguised problems as a God-ordained opportunity, we've got to reframe uncertainty. Third, we've got to reframe risk. You know, if you scan through the pages of the Bible, you'll, you'll see how God uses those who are willing to risk. In fact, when you read through the Bible, the people that are willing to risk it even more, like risk everything, God uses in incredible, impossible ways. You know, I don't know what lion God may have been calling you to chase through the series or, or what line he will call you to chase. It might mean being a teacher in an inner city school. It, it might be starting your own business instead of going to work for someone else. It might mean be, being a foster parent or adoption one day. It may mean applying for that graduate program. It might mean resigning from a position in a certain job. It may mean ending a relationship or, or starting a new relationship. Whatever that lion might be, you cannot remove risk from the equation. You can't. If you're going to be a lion chaser, you're going to step into those God-ordained opportunities so that you can step in and live your God-ordained destiny. There will be risk. It's inherent in the step, in the decision. So we've got to reframe risk. And then finally, and hardest of all, we've got to reframe suffering. Suffering probably more than the others, will derail our pursuit of God. It'll derail us from chasing that lion. Some of you may have heard of a woman by the name of Corrie Ten Boone. During World War II, her, her family would hide Jews from the Nazis. They ended up getting caught and thrown into a concentration camp themselves. And while they were in the camp, Corey Ten Boone lost her father and her sister. Before her sister died, she told Corey, she said, no matter how deep the pit, the father is deeper still. In the midst of the most extreme pain and the most extreme suffering, no matter how deep the pit, the Father is deeper still. Miraculously, Corey Ten Boone was escaped from prison, got out of, uh, out of the concentration camp, rather, and she continued to, to help Jews hide from the Nazis, and she would end up traveling the world, 60 different countries in her lifetime, speaking and sharing about her experience. You see, she refused to let the devil have victory over her life because of her suffering. And instead, she turned her suffering into a sermon. And she went around the world telling people about her story. And as she would tell her story, she had needlepoint in her hand. 
And on the side that would face the crowd, all you saw was the mess on the backside. And as she would speak and as she would tell her story, she would say, you know, most of us, we see our lives and all we see is the, the mess on, on, on the backside. We, we don't, that's all we see. That, that's all we know. And when she was through telling her story, she turned it around to reveal a beautiful design. And she would say, but this is what the father sees. Even in the midst of her suffering, when she could have been asking why, and I'm sure she did and, and had her doubts and, and, and maybe even was angry. She chose to reframe her suffering. And she chose to let God use her suffering for his glory. And even though she couldn't understand it in the midst of the suffering sometimes, she knew that God had a greater plan. She knew that God was in control. She believed that, that God was weaving together, was sewing together a beautiful artistic design. And you know, I'm not sure there's a better picture of this for us as followers of Jesus, if you are a Christian, than the cross. I mean, we celebrate the Son of God dying on a cross. The cross was a method of execution, yet we wear crosses around our necks and, and people get tattoos of crosses and we celebrate a cross, a method of execution, a method of suffering and torture. Yet as Christians, we, we celebrate that and we wear them. We talk about the cross as if it's good news. And I'm sure to a lot of people on the outside, it's, that seems crazy. It seems foolish. In fact, Paul even writes in 1 Corinthians, says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. But when you begin to reframe the cross and you look at it through God's perspective, God's eyes, and you look at it through a biblical lens, we begin to realize that God allowed his son, the Bible says, to be tortured and punished and crucified on a cross. In fact, the Bible says it was the Lord's will to crush his son. So that you and I, Isaiah 53 says, like sheep, even though we've gone astray, we've turned to our own way. God laid on Jesus the iniquity, the fine for our sin was laid upon him so that you and I might have our sin wiped away, the fine, the penalty for our sin paid for so that you and I wouldn't have to fear the penalty of our sin anymore. We wouldn't have to fear death anymore. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death. And so we can take the cross now, the method of execution, a method of torture and suffering, and we can be, we're able to now reframe the cross in light of the resurrection of Christ from the grave. That's something we can celebrate now because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. And so the Bible says in Hebrews 2, when Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered sin and he conquered death 
for you and me. And some of you are here tonight and you've, you've never come to the cross and put your faith in Jesus' payment of your fine through his death on the cross. You've been thinking maybe that you'll be good enough, that if there is a God and you stand before him one day, that, that maybe because your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, that that'll somehow make you right with God and the Bible's clear it won't. The Bible actually says good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. Salvation, or, uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says that salvation is not given to us. It's not a reward for the things that we've done. Good people don't go to heaven. We're saved by grace, the grace of God through our faith in Jesus' death on the cross. Romans 3 says you're made right with God when you believe that Jesus shed his blood for your sin. That's when you're forgiven. That's when you're made right with God. When you believe. Not when you've been to church enough times. Not when you've done enough good things. Not if your good deeds outweigh your, your bad deeds. Salvation's not a reward for the good things that we've done. When you give your life to Jesus, you're made right with God and you no longer have to fear. And some of you here tonight, you've never made that decision before. Tonight's your night to put your faith in Jesus, to believe, to give your life to Jesus so that your sin can be forgiven, so that you can be made right with God, so that you can begin this brand new relationship with God through Jesus. And if that's you, take out that connection card that was in your chair, fill it out, check the box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ. And after the service, head back to the Raider Church booth back there. We've got a team there that wants to pray with you and celebrate that decision with you. But you know, when we are going through suffering or adversity or uncertainty, we tend to zoom in on that problem and it can begin to overtake us. We get fixated on our circumstances or, or something about us or something about another person. We get fixated on, we, we zoom in on that situation, on that problem. And nine times out of 10, the solution to that problem is zooming out. And we zoom out through worship. You see, worship allows us to take our focus off the problem and to put it on something bigger, our God. Worship takes the focus off what's wrong with you or what's wrong with your world and it puts the focus on what's right with God. In Acts chapter 16, there's a guy named Paul and Silas and they're out preaching the good news of Jesus and they heal someone and they cast out some, some demons and as a result, there's this huge commotion, there's this huge stir and, and they get thrown into prison. They're doing the right thing. They're serving God and they get thrown into prison. You would think they have every reason in their suffering, in their pain, in their adversity to be angry, to doubt God. But in Acts 16, instead of being angry, instead of complaining, instead of whining, instead of making excuses, instead of doubting God, we find Paul and Silas worshiping God in the prison. They're chained. They've got chains on their hands and their feet in prison, and they are worshiping God in the midst of 
their problem, in the midst of their suffering. And you know what worship will do? When you're worshiping God like Paul and Silas do in the midst of the problem, in the midst of the suffering, it changes your perspective. It helps you reframe your problem in light of how huge God is. When you worship God, it it changes your perspective. It changes your heart. It changes your mind about what you're going through. When you're zoomed in on that issue, when you're zoomed in on that that problem, when you're fixated on, on what's wrong in your world, what's wrong in your life, if you could begin to worship God in the midst of your problem, you'll find that God will begin to change your heart and your mind and your perspective. Mark Batterson said in his book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, which this series has been based on, he said, many of our prayers are misguided. We pray for comfort instead of character. We pray for an easy way out instead of the strength to make it through. We pray for no pain when the result would be no gain. We pray that God will keep us out of pits and away from lions, but if God answered our prayer, it would rob us of our greatest opportunities. Many of our prayers would short-circuit God's plans and purposes for our lives if he answered them. Maybe we should stop asking God to get us out of difficult circumstances and start asking him what he wants us to get out of those difficult circumstances. You see what Mark is talking about here in his book, he's talking about reframing. You might think, well, why? Why why do I do this? Why do I need to reframe my my problem as a God-ordained opportunity? And here's the reason why. Because most often, the outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. The outcome of your life will be determined by your outlook on life. You see, if you can begin to see your past and present struggles, problems, adversity, suffering. As maybe a God-ordained opportunity or maybe God using those things to prepare you for a God-ordained opportunity. It just might change the outcome of your life. So I don't know what lion God is calling you to chase. Maybe it's clear, maybe it's obvious to you right now. Maybe through the course of this series, you've you've heard God speaking to you about the lion he's calling you to chase. You know, I've got a friend named Shane and him and several families in their small town outside of Lubbock in Plains, Texas, began to pursue God and they basically started a church together. And as this church grew and as they began to reach more and more people, they began to realize that they needed a pastor for this church. And I'll never forget years ago, sitting in a restaurant with Shane and him asking me if I had thoughts or options or potential people that we could send out to be a pastor of this church. And I looked at Shane and I said, Shane, I don't think there's anyone for us to send out 
to you to pastor this church. I think God is calling you to pastor this church. Shane had a great job. Shane had a job with an oil company where he was making a lot of money. He had a secure, safe job with a great income where he could provide for his family. But as he left that place and over the next few months, God, Shane began to believe that God was calling him to leave his job, to leave the comfort and the safety net, to leave all of that and to pursue this lion and to become the pastor of that church. And over the next year, Shane did just that. He left the security, he left the comfort, and he stepped into the uncertainty. He took a risk. And now God is using Shane to pastor a thriving church in a small town in West Texas. I had another friend, his name is Lee. He was a pastor friend of mine. Had been in ministry for about as long as I had, about 15 years. And in the last year, he felt like God was calling him out of ministry to go get a, a job, like a real job, like as if pastoring is not a real job, but, but I think you know what I mean. Like he called, God called him out of like full-time vocational ministry in, to get a job like in the business world so that he could meet people and make disciples right where he was at. And so Lee left the comfort of everything he had known for the last 15 years of being a pastor. And he decided that he was gonna become a real estate agent. And so he went through the training and he got licensed and he took all the, the tests and everything he needed to do over the course of several months. But, but during that time, it was very difficult. Lee was stepping into the unknown. He was stepping into something that was very uncertain. It was very risky for him and, and for his family as the provider of his family. And in the course of those months, he started a church in his home, just a, a house church. And as the result of doing that, began to be able to share his faith with his, his neighbors and, and people that he's worked with and then and started a group for people who, none of which knew Jesus, but they were all reading the Bible together and discovering who God was together and who he says he is in his word together. God is using Lee in a powerful way, chasing this lion that scared Lee absolutely to death. But he didn't run away from his fears. We talked about last week, Proverbs 28 says that the godly are as bold as lions. He stepped out into the unknown and he risked it all in order to obey God and to chase the lion. You know, I believe no matter what lion God is calling you to chase, the ultimate result, the ultimate goal is that he would use you for his glory to be a disciple maker because Jesus has called every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's called you to go and make disciples. And so no matter what the lion is or what the context is, one lion that God is calling all of us as followers of Jesus to chase is to be disciple makers. 
to share the gospel with people. You know, we read the book of Acts and, and Acts 8, and I, I read again in, in Acts chapter 10 or 11 this past week where just regular everyday followers of Jesus were out preaching the good news of Jesus everywhere they went. It wasn't just a few, it wasn't just one. It wasn't just the super Christians, it wasn't just the apostles, it was everyone. Every follower of Jesus was out spreading the gospel and making disciples. And so I believe no matter where you go from here, what city you end up in, what job you end up in, the lion that God is calling every one of you to chase is to be a disciple maker, not to sit in a chair for the rest of your life and just watch ministry happen, but to step into ministry and begin to be used by God to make disciples of all the nations. And so tonight, we're just gonna enter into a time of prayer and just asking God, God, what lion are you calling me to chase? And so if you would bow your heads and close your eyes and just begin to make that your prayer. God, what lion are you calling me to chase? Are you gonna live your life in a way that's worth telling stories about? Or are you gonna run away because it's scary? Because it's hard? Because it's dangerous? You know, a lot of times we, we live as if, and we pray as if God's goal is to protect us from fear and danger and risk. But when you read through the Bible, it's clear that's that's not God's primary goal. God's primary goal is not for you to be comfortable. God's goal is for you is to be a lion chaser for his glory, for his name. And so some of you tonight, I, I believe you know what that lion is. Maybe you're facing it right now or, or God's put a dream on your heart. And if you know what that line is, I just wanna invite you to stand just to be bold and say, yep, that's me. God's revealed a lion to me that, that's in my life right now that he's calling me to chase or I've got a well-disguised problem that's actually a God-ordained opportunity. If that's you, would you just stand up? Just be bold. The godly are as bold as lions. God's put a lion on your heart to chase. Be bold, stand up and say, yeah, that's me. Would you pray for me to chase that lion, to not run away in fear, but to chase that lion? God, I pray for every person standing right now and for the lion that you've put on their heart. God, would you give them the boldness to chase after that lion? God, I pray they wouldn't run away in fear. They wouldn't run away to comfort. God, but they would embrace, God, that you would strengthen their faith to embrace the uncertainty, to step into the unknown, to step into the risk or the fear. And God, would you give them the boldness to chase those lions? And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you all stand? We're gonna sing, we're gonna worship God, we're gonna zoom out, and we're gonna focus on what's right with God and not what's wrong with us 
or in our world and watch God change our perspective, change our minds, change our hearts. You know, when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den for standing up for his faith in God, he wouldn't bow down to an idol. And so they threw him into a pit to be eaten by lions. And King Darius comes, the king who threw him into the pit, comes and says, Daniel, did your God rescue you from the mouths of the lions? And Daniel's response is, my God, shut the mouth of the lion. Your God can shut the mouths of the lions in your life. So you don't have to be afraid. And so King Darius's response to that was that David's God is the living God. We will all now fear him and worship him and follow him. Listen, I believe God has put the lions in your life so that as a watching world sees you, face them and conquer them. They will say, your God is the living God and I'm going to fear and worship and follow your God that shut the mouth of the lion in front of you. God, as we sing and as we worship, would you fill us with the boldness? God, would you fill us with courage? God, that we wouldn't run away, like it says in Proverbs 28, but that the godly would be filled with boldness tonight in Jesus' name.